0: we must be ready for the return of Jesus, which will be unexpected, sudden, and clear to all. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. The focus in our text here this morning is on a fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith, uh, one of the fundamental elements of our faith and what the scriptures teach us. One of those is this doctrine right here, which is that Jesus is coming again, isn't he? Jesus is coming again. He's coming in great power and glory. Scripture clearly proclaims that he is coming again. And it tells us because he is coming again, we must do what? We must be ready for that. We must be ready for that. We can watch for signs of that, the sign of his coming. But it also tells us then if we do the math in the scriptures, we can tell exactly what date that's gonna happen, right? Oh wait a minute, I think I got that last part wrong. You know, the, the first part was right, right? That that we are to be ready for that. And that that He is coming, that we are to be ready for that and that we can we must watch for that and there will be signs of that coming. But the scripture makes it clear that we cannot know exactly when that's going to be. We can't be setting dates and times. Do you think that has stopped people from attempting to do that though? No, that is not. Unfortunately That has not stopped a lot of people over the years from the beginning until now through today from trying to set exact dates for when Jesus is coming again. And the truth is, is as they've done this, frankly, they've made fools of themselves in doing that. Uh, There are a whole host of people from the earliest days of the church until our time who have made predictions about the time of the return of Christ. Uh, Some of the more recent or prominent examples include a movement called uh, the Millerites, William Miller and the Millerites, who declared that Jesus was returning in 1843. And that didn't quite work out, so we moved it to 1844. And that didn't work out either, so then we ended up kind of spiritualizing some things, and uh, we won't go into all of that, but that was one. Uh, We have the Jehovah's Witnesses, who uh, declared that Jesus was returning in 1914. Uh, that didn't work out. So then it became. 19, we have to redo the math, and then it's 1915, 1916, 1917, 1918, 1922, 1925, and then 1942, and then I think the latest is what 1975 done. So uh, clearly that did not happen there. But now, of course, we speak well. Well, well, it was, but it was an invisible presence or, or, or something like that, right? Uh, does the scripture teach that when Jesus returns, it will be an invisible presence that nobody will know about? No, it, it, it doesn't, right? And then you might remember this one. Most recently, maybe you saw this. Remember, there are even big billboards for it now. It's a man named Harold Camping and Family Radio, and he had declared that Jesus was returning in 2011. You remember all of that? It was even a big story in the news there. I think it was first, it was May of 2011. That didn't work out. So we did a little recalculating and that took it to October, October of 2011. And that still didn't work out, of course, then. So needless to say, these folks have all missed the part where the scriptures tell us that no one knows when that day will be. And so we won't be making any specific time predictions here today. But what we do want to do is be ready, right? To be ready for his return whenever that may be. So what did Jesus say about his return? Well, it is sure and certain, isn't it, that he is coming in great power and glory. That while there will be signs that precede it, we can't set exact days. No one knows that. Most importantly, we must be ready. We must be ready. So what must we do to be ready for that? Well, let's find out then. So as we look into our text, we're continuing our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our series is a harmony of the Gospels. It's taking the message of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and putting them together into one harmonious, flowing chronological account as best we can. We've been following the order of events as suggested in this book by John MacArthur called One Perfect Life. And so for today then, we're asking, are you ready? Are you ready for the return of the King, of King Jesus? Our text is in the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 37. Luke 17, verses 20 through 37. So what's the big idea? Uh, what's the point? What is the main point that I want us to take away from our service here today? And that is this, that we must be ready. We must be ready for the return of Jesus, which will be unexpected, sudden, and clear to all. It will be unexpected. Wait a minute, you just said we're to expect this. Well, as followers of Jesus, we are expecting this, but much of the world is much of the world expecting this no, no not at all it 's going to be a big surprise isn 't it It is will be unexpected it will be sudden, yes, there will be signs that precede it, but it 's still going to come very suddenly with no warning about right now it 's going to have unexpected sudden, and are we going to have to guess or spiritualize things and the, it will be very obvious, evident, and clear to all that Jesus has returned. So we must be ready for that. Before we look at our text, then in Luke 17, a little context then. We saw last time how Jesus had healed 10 lepers. Uh, How many of them returned to thank him? One of them, right? But one of them returned to thank him. Now, they had all been physically healed, but the one who returned to thank him he received more than just a physical healing from his leprosy. He received spiritual healing, right? Salvation, redemption in Christ. And this then led to another conversation Jesus had then with the Pharisees about the kingdom of God. Jesus had been, pre- had been preaching about the kingdom of God, how it is near. And so some of them were wondering, okay, well, when is it coming? When is the kingdom coming then? Well, Jesus, we see from the scriptures, uh, shows us that the kingdom of God is multifaceted. There are many different elements to it. In one sense, the kingdom of God is now, isn't it? We are, in one sense, in the kingdom of God, living the kingdom of God as we follow Jesus Christ as he rules and reigns in our hearts and through his church on the earth. But there's another aspect of the kingdom, though, that is not yet, that has not come yet, that is yet future. Uh, there is an aspect of the kingdom which is physical. It's not just a spiritual kingdom; it will be physical here on the earth, and yet there is an aspect of it, though, that is a spiritual as, as well as physical. That there is an aspect of the kingdom that is this earth, that involves life on this earth right now, but yet it also involves, though, in eternity, then what a new earth. So, all of these are different aspects of the kingdom. But here, though, as Jesus is asked about this, he here then addresses the Pharisees then, and he is speaking of this not-yet-physical kingdom that is to come that we will see on earth, and of course it will go into eternity, into the new heaven and the new earth, but he's speaking of something that is yet to come. It had not yet come, and it's not yet come in our day, and we need to be on the watch for it as well. So let's look at Luke chapter 17 Verse twenty Luke chapter seventeen verse twenty. There we're told Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say Look, here it is or there for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So here Jesus speaking of his return, this coming of the kingdom, the return of Jesus. First off, it will be sudden and clear. It will be sudden and clear. Jesus had been asked by the Pharisees, well, well when is this coming? When is this kingdom you speak of? When, when will it be coming? And, and you know, this was a logical question for them to ask because he had been preaching for some time that the kingdom was at hand. So when is this coming? Well, Jesus responds to this question then in, in two ways. First then he says that, well, you Pharisees, you will not be able to tell of the coming of the kingdom simply through your observations. Now, understand here, Jesus in other passages, which we will look at on a future date, he does speak of watching for signs, right? What he's saying here, though, is, is you cannot look and see, aha, here it is, right now. Now we, we can tell it exactly when it's going to be. You can't watch for observations and tell exactly when it's coming. It's going to be sudden. Second, then, he told them that the kingdom was in the midst, that it was already here, in the midst of them. What did he mean by that? How, how can it be The kingdom is not yet here, and you can't tell exactly when it's coming. And yet, on the other hand, he's saying, but the kingdom is in the midst of you. What do you mean by that? Well, I think he is saying that that he, Jesus, he is the coming of the kingdom, and he is standing right there in their midst at that moment, proclaiming it. And so, in one sense, the kingdom is already here and is now. All they needed to do was to acknowledge that he was indeed the Messiah. But Jesus then gave his disciples. So that's what he says to the Pharisees. Jesus then gave his disciples three facts about the kingdom, three facts about the kingdom. First, he said that a time would come when the disciples would long to see him return. But they would not see it. They're looking. How many of you are longing for the return of Jesus? Right? People will long for him to return. Second, though, he said that when the kingdom would come, everyone would know it. Everyone would know it. Where are you getting that from, Pastor? You ask. Well, what does he say there, verse 24? For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. How many of you here like thunderstorms? Do you have any thunderstorm lovers? I know some people don't like them. I love thunderstorms, okay? Now, I know some, some pet owners have dogs. Maybe you don't like it because the dogs don't like it, right? You know, but, but I, I love thunderstorms thunderstorms. I love that 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 sheer power of God's creation in that and hearing that that rumbling and rolling thunder and seeing that light, how it just flashes up the whole a dark night and yet here and just instantly you see that light everywhere. Can you if you're outside in a thunderstorm and that lightning flashes up the sky from one end to the other, can you miss that? Nope. Nope. All right. And that's what Jesus is saying about when he returns. It's going to be sudden and very evident. You're not going to miss it. So he says, yeah. So some are saying, oh, the Messiah is here. Or, oh, the Messiah is there. By the way, have we had folks who've come along claiming to be the Messiah or thinking they're a Messiah? Yeah, there have been, right? Well, guess what? When Jesus, the real Messiah, comes, there's not going to be any question about it. You're not going to miss that any more than you can miss the lightning coming. It will be very sudden and and it will be clear. So the kingdom of God is not only a hidden, inner, spiritual kingdom. Now again, I would agree, are there aspects of the kingdom that are inner and spiritual? and are? Of course, but that's not the sum total of what the kingdom is, is it? It will be obvious and evident and outward. No one will be able to deny it. So it will not only be an inner spiritual kingdom. It will be a kingdom that the whole world will see and will know. And his appearing will be like the lightning. Sudden, clear to all, evident, and obvious. No question about it. It's definitely the Messiah. But then he tells them a third fact about the kingdom. Luke says in verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. It's the kingdom, he is coming, great power and glory, and no one can miss it. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So the return of Jesus will be sudden and clear, but also it must be preceded by suffering and rejection. He must suffer many things. He will be rejected before the kingdom comes. Why? What was he talking about? The cross, of course. He must first suffer and die before any of this happens. Well, why? Because it was, what, through the cross that he would secure eternal redemption for all who would believe in him. So how did the sufferings and the rejection of Christ purchase our eternal life? How did Jesus secure our eternal salvation, redemption? Well, first, through his perfect life. Remember, we said, what does God require of us if we are going to enter heaven, if we're going to live in his presence forever and ever, what does God require of us? Absolute perfection. And you want him to require that, don't you? Because if he doesn't require absolute perfection, what kind of a world, what kind of heaven would heaven be if God does not, if God allows sin in it? It would be, yeah, look around. Is this what you want to live in forever and ever and ever? No. That would be hell, living in a world like this forever and ever and ever, wouldn't it? So he requires absolute perfection, Well, how's that going to happen? We got any perfect people here? No. See, because there was only one perfect person who's ever lived, and that was Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. And so our Savior, our Deliverer. So one of the ministries of Jesus and how he saves us is by living that perfect life of obedience to all of God's law and all that God requires. And then, and here's the amazing thing, and we call it grace, when we trust in him, when we trust in Jesus, God credits to us, gives us that perfect righteousness, that perfect obedience, that perfect holiness. He credits it to us. Do you deserve it? Do I? No, none of us do. So how does he save us? Well, his perfect life, he met all the requirements of God's law for us. But then there was still the matter of the fact that, well, we have sinned, haven't we? We're under judgment, just judgment. So what did he do about that? Well, he went to the cross, and he didn't just physically die on the cross. That was a horrible thing, the physical death, right? But what did he do when he was on that cross? He took upon himself the judgment, the condemnation for our sins, the punishment for our sins upon himself. And then that judgment was credited then, our sin was credited to him who did not deserve it. So his righteousness is given to us. Our sin was paid for by him. The great exchange. That's the heart of the gospel, the good news message, isn't it? He died. He was buried. And fortunately this story doesn't end there, does it? He rose. He rose. And now he declares that all who believe, who repent of their sin, turn from that and put their trust in Him, in His perfect life, in His death on the cross for us, His burial, His resurrection, that God credits. God forgives our sin and credits us with His righteousness. He will make us perfect in Christ as a gift and it's received by faith. The scriptures also tell us that he, after the resurrection, he ascended into heaven. But then he is coming again to establish the kingdom on earth, to carry out final judgment, and then to make all things new a new heaven and a new earth. But first, what? He must suffer many things and be rejected was purchasing our redemption. So the return of Jesus will be sudden and clear, but it must be preceded by suffering and rejection. And then Jesus says something that applies very much in our day as well. He says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. And so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So the return of Jesus will be sudden. It will be clear, but it must be preceded by suffering and rejection. But when it comes, it will be unexpected. Were the people in Noah's day really expecting everything that was going to happen? Were the people in Lot's day in Sodom, were they expecting what happened? No, they weren't. So when he establishes his kingdom here, people will be judged. He's going to speak about people being taken away in a moment here that we'll see. Now he's not speaking about a rapture. That's a different topic for another day here. He's speaking of people being taken away in judgment. You don't want to be taken away in the sense that he's speaking of it here. It's a taking away into judgment. But it says, just as the people in Noah's day were not prepared for the judgment of the flood, just as the people in Sodom were not prepared for the judgment that was to come on them, in the same way, the people of that day, when he comes, they're not going to be expecting it or prepared for that. People will not be ready. The people in Noah's day didn't expect it. People in Lot's day, they were materialistic, indifferent Eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. In other words, what? Just living life. Just living their lives. They were living in sin and rebellion against God, and they were oblivious to it all. Sound like a a world you know at all, right? And so shall it be with that generation on the earth when Jesus returns. And so he warns and says... On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away, and likewise let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. What? Well, look at that. So when Jesus comes, it will be sudden and clear. It must be preceded by suffering and rejection. When he comes, though, it will be unexpected, and it will result in (coughs) judgment. So Jesus is reminding his followers that people should not be attached to their things of this world because judgment is coming. And all of that's going to be destroyed. People who are working or relaxing on their roofs, which people in that region of the world would do, their roofs were flat. I can't imagine too many of us relaxing on our roof, right? That would be a little rough. You know, how many of you discovered, like me, that, you know, the, the, those, those roofs, they don't seem very steep, but once you're actually up on there, that's a little scary, isn't it? That's a little scary being on a roof there. So, we don't do too much relaxing on our roofs, do we? But in their day, their, their roofs were flat. And so, one might go up there and let's uh, read, have your little uh, your, your party out there, right? Well, he's saying uh, if you're doing that and you see the judgment now oh, is coming, don't try to run back down and, and get your stuff. Now he's talking about what? About a heart's heart's affections and the futility of having our hearts set on the things of this world. Said, nor should those working in their fields go to their houses to save their possessions. Whoever tries to keep their life by going back to hold on to it will lose it. The more we try to hold on to the stuff of this world, the more lost we are, right? So Jesus said that some will be taken into Judgment. You know when Jesus, have you ever thought about this? When Jesus comes, it's going to be daytime in some parts of the world, and it's going to be nighttime in others, isn't it? So you see, for some, it's going to be nighttime because you have two who are in bed. It's night. And yet one of them will be taken away in judgment. In other parts of the world, it'll be daytime. So you have two women, they're, they're, grind, they're doing their daily chores, their tasks of grinding grain. And one will be taken again, this is not the rapture. That's another topic. This is, you don't want to be taken in this way. In this way. It's taken into judgment. So the disciples, well, will, will taken, taken where? And Jesus answered rather, rather cryptically. He says, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And I think what he's saying there is, is, well, to be, to be blunt, if, if there is a, a dead body and you see like vultures circling around, that, that's a, the vultures are circling, that tells you there's something dead there, right? But I don't think Jesus is talking about a physical death. He's talking about what? Where there is spiritual death, the vultures were gathered. So he doesn't say exactly well, he says, well, they're going to be taken in judgment, and just as a, a something dead causes the vultures to gather on it, so spiritually dead people are consigned to judgment if they're not ready for the kingdom. So I would ask you, are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? What does it mean to be ready? We're told, be ready, got to be ready for this. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be unexpected. Much of the world is not going to be looking for it. But we're to be ready. What does it mean to be ready? How can we be ready? Well, let me suggest three things we can do to be ready for the return of Jesus. Three things to do to be ready for the return of Jesus. First one, and I dare say most important of all, is get right with God. (laughs) Be right with God. How do we get right with God? Well, Scripture says what? Repent and believe. Repent, turn away from sin, believe in the gospel. Believe in God's provision. See, the Scriptures tell us that, that God has made us in his image. He's made us to be in a relationship with him. But we have all, without exception, turned away and rebelled against him. We have sought our own way We're all moral rebels, sinners. And because God is just, he must judge that. But because God is also merciful and loving, he's provided a way. So that we don't have to receive that judgment. He took the judgment himself. He fulfilled all of God's righteous requirements for us. And all we have to do is what? Believe. Believe. Now believe, that's not just what, something in our heads, saying I intellectually concur with that. It's what, it's, it's, it's a whole person thing. Yes, it's our, our minds, but it's also, it's our will. It's saying, I trust in you, God. I trust in Jesus and what he did. I turn from my sin and I turn to you Jesus and believe in what you did for me, what you accomplished for me. So, first and foremost, how are we how are we going to be ready for the return of Jesus? Get right with him, <laughs> get right with God through repentance and faith. Believe the gospel, the good news. Now, I know many of us we 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 have the, we do believe that. So, how can we Jesus is calling his followers to be ready. People who have believed, we still need to be ready. Can can you be right with God, but not be ready for the return of Jesus? Well, in one sense, well, being right with God, that's the most important thing. But you can be a follower of Jesus, but not be watching, not be expecting, right? So I would say we need to get right with God, but then also, if we are believers, we need to Walk with God. Walk closely in intimate relationship or fellowship with God, seeking first and foremost to know Christ. If we are believers, is is that our our, our greatest goal in our life is to, to know Christ, to know him first and foremost? To grow in the knowledge of him. And when I say grow in the knowledge of him, I don't just mean filling up our, our, our minds with doctrinal facts and truths. That's, that's a part of growing, is learning biblical truths, right? But it's not just learning more about Christ. It is learning to know Christ, right? You know facts about your friends or about your mate, But that's not the same thing as knowing your friend or knowing your mate, is it? It's relational. It's an intimate relationship of knowing Christ, growing in the knowledge of Christ and the holiness of Christ. It's it's about our lives being changed and transformed to be more like him. So we wanna be right with him, but then if we put our faith in him, we wanna walk with him in fellowship endeavoring first and foremost to know him and to grow in the knowledge and the holiness of Christ. But then I would say another way then that we can be ready for the return of Jesus, get right with God, walk with God, then I would say this, get on board with God. What do I mean by that? When you get on board, we're joining with him in his task and what he's doing in the world, right? Getting on board with him and his mission. So join with God in the task of Proclaiming the kingdom of making disciples of all the nations, of all peoples. It means then too, fulfilling God's purpose in your life. I said, do you know that that God has specifically gifted and equipped, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, he has specifically gifted you and equipped you for service, that he has purposes for you, he has a job for you to do. Now, in one sense, we all have the same job, which is to make disciples, right? But in another sense, but God has us all. He's gifted us and made us different. We have different places and different ways that we do that. We have different purposes in in, in our lives, unique to us. Get on board with him and what God wants to do in your life. Walking in faith and obedience to him. In case you think I'm making this up, let me tell you this. I want to read something to you in just a moment. It seems that there was one particular disciple of Jesus who was paying very close attention to Jesus in this matter, and I suspect the later ministry of the Holy Spirit helped a lot with this too, all right but listen to what peter listen to what Peter tells followers of Jesus about. 30 years after those words Jesus spoke that we just read, about 30 years have passed, and now the Apostle Peter is writing to believers. And see if any of these things he says sound familiar at all. This is in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3. 2 Peter, chapter 3. Peter speaking says, Following their own sinful desires, they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. But according to this promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. By the way, I appreciate, how many of you appreciate that Peter said, you know some of those things Paul says? They're a little hard to understand. You ever struggle trying to understand Scripture sometimes? Even Peter was like, what do you mean by that, Paul? What? Right? He says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant are unstable and twist to their own destruction as they do the Other scriptures, that's significant, isn't it? You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So Peter says what? Scoffers will come. Where is this? coming this promise of his coming you speak of people scoff today don't they but the lord is patient he does not wish that any should perish but that all should reach repentance and the fact is he is even now he's building a vast kingdom composed of people from every tribe nation and tongue by the way aren't you glad that you were born and you will share in the eternal kingdom of heaven through faith in him But one day, that day will come. The day of judgment will come. The elements will melt in the fire of God's judgment, cleansing and renewing all things. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And therefore, what? Be diligent to be found in him. Get right with God, right? And be at peace. At peace with him. Peace with one another. (laughs) Hold fast to God's word. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus and bring glory to him in all things now to the day of eternity. So what? I'd remind us where we started. We must be ready. We must be ready for the return of Jesus, which will be unexpected, sudden, and clear to all. It won't be missed. So I'll conclude by asking one simple question. Are you ready? Are you ready for the return of the king? How can we be ready? Get right with God. Believe, Repent and believe the gospel. Walk with God. Seek first and foremost to know him and to grow in, his, in the knowledge of him and in holiness. And then finally, get on board with God. Get busy with the work that he has given us to do, the task he has given us, the unique places that that he has placed, each one of us, those unique places of service. That's how we're ready, by being right with him, by walking with him, and being busy doing the work he's given us to do. That is being ready for the return of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that in him has been met all the righteous requirements of your law, that he willingly went to that cross where he took on the judgment, the punishment for our sins, where he who knew no sin was made sin for us on our behalf in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him, through him. That gift, received by faith, So, Father, I pray that we would all be ready, that we would turn away from sin and self-reliance and embrace hope in Jesus Christ, in his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, and the certainty that he is coming again in great power and glory. May we walk closely with you, Lord Jesus. And may may we be busy doing the work of the kingdom honoring you and bringing glory to you in all of our lives and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonderlake Bible Church visit wlBiblechurch.org.